Hi, this is Greg Anderson, and this is the Living in Carver County podcast. It's an insider's conversation with the people who make Carver County the best place to live, work, and raise a family. My guest today is Clint Mack, and Clint's a supervisor for Child and Family Services, and they're a with. And we're going to talk specifically about Carver County foster care, but that's a division of the Carver County Health and Human Services. So we've got lots and lots of stuff to talk about. Um, Clint, thank you for agreeing to be on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. So I'd like to start off with maybe just you talking about you a little bit. You know, where did you grow up? Um, you know, what was your career path? You know, where do you live now? Current family, that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, yeah, I think as a lot of people end up in this work, they have a very kind of winding road to, to get into uh, different areas. And it's always interesting to hear that. So um, I actually grew up on a uh, family farm down in Sleepy Eye, southern Minnesota, Sleepy Eye, Minnesota. Um, population of like 3,500 and um, spent my uh, early years um, spending a lot of time working on that family farm, having like cattle, uh, beef cattle and crops and just all the things that go along with uh, that process, I guess, of having a farm. (laughs) Every day is just a little different. So um, (laughs) you know how to bale hay and pick rock and some of those exciting, you know, all those things that you try to forget but really was a very formative experience I would say um and so yeah and I think reflecting on that as we're preparing for this even in this interview or when I've like prepared for job interviews I always think back to that those years and some of those things that we um those core values and things that we kind of develop early in those years and I really see that playing out a lot in my 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 eventual work and why I do what I do here at uh, Carver County um, but, uh, as, as getting older, um, moved into trying to figure out what's next, what kind of career I didn't see myself staying in the farm and farming world. And so, um, really kind of sought options in college and eventually settled on university of Minnesota Morris and, uh, went to college at Morris and really didn't know what I was going to do. I thought maybe teach like social sciences or political science and that process, um, before I ended up going to college, though, I also joined the Army National Guard. And so I um, had kind of those expectations going on at the same time as college. And so I ended up getting deployed two times through the Army National Guard. And um, both of those were during my college years. So I had a very uh, kind of different college experience, if you say. I went to a year of college, then I went to Italy, then I went back for a year of college, and I spent two years deployed, eventually in Iraq, and then come back and finish a third year of college before graduating. Um, and so in that process, it was kind of a, like I said, it's a little different, different experience. And that um, met my wife at college and eventually kind of decided that I was going to pursue um, uh, being a Lutheran pastor. That was my next step in this process. And so we moved to the Twin Cities and I uh, started seminary. And uh, about a year and a half into that program, I knew pretty clearly that the, the pastor route wasn't, wasn't the calling I was thinking it was. And uh, really was thinking, like, where is this going to take me now? I'm living in the cities. I don't have a job. I need to, I need to figure something out. Like, I'm, I'm old enough to have a plan at this point. And uh, um, so I got in my foot in the door working for Ramsey County um, as a foster care licensor. Um, I was a contract employee for uh, a nonprofit or a, yeah, a nonprofit. And so I ended up 
uh, really focusing in on that area. And it was like a switch clicked, like, this is it. Social work is kind of the area that I, I found my home in. It's that helping profession that really supports families. Um, but also, I mean, provides that kind of structure and accountability that a lot of families need in order to make the kind of changes and steps forward to support their children. So I ended up getting, uh, going back to school and got a master's in social work. And in that process, I uh, got an internship with Carver County. I got, uh, really sought Carver County out um, for a number of reasons, one of which it was close enough into the city where I was living at the time. And so I could still commute there, but also um, kind of on the southwest edge of the metro so that I could still travel and see family with having, without having to drive through the entire city to get there. And so um, really kind of thought this was kind of the ideal fit for where, we, where my wife and I were going to look to kind of start our family. So we, uh, st I started working and eventually got hired after my internship um, at Carver County and kind of have been here ever since, except for a little short break where I took a little, <laughs> I left and did a little bit of uh, clinical therapy work, um, but then I was able to return back to Carver um, in the supervisor position. So um, initially I was doing a uh, preventative program called the Parent Support Outreach Program, and that is really meant to support families that are at risk of further involvement with like child protection services um, when they have kids under the age of 10. Um, then I did child protection case management for a few years, and then I have been in this role as a supervisor for a little over five years now. So, Okay. And then you and your wife, do you have, a, you have children then as well, or? Yep. Yep. We've got a 10 year old daughter and a six year old daughter and they just started school a few days ago. So oh, that's a good just, age. You're still cool. Uh, <laughs> the six year old thinks I'm still cool when, yeah, yeah. It's, it's been an interesting experience. I think it's always been one of those things when you're working with children and families for your job. And then you're also trying to figure out like, the advice I give families sometimes is hard to follow yourself. And so when you're, when you're in, your, yeah. in those situations yourself, you're just like, okay, this is what I need to remember. Okay. Yeah. I need to walk away, let it be. But you know, oh, yeah. parenting, parenting as a whole is a difficult job. So. Yep. Yep. Well, we'll get into that. I, you know, you mentioned, I was getting a kick out of when you were said that, uh, you know, living in Carver County and being close, my wife's from blue earth. And so, you know, her family always liked, when we moved to Chaska, they liked that very much because mm -hmm. they didn't actually have to come in and get up. They didn't have to get the 494. And so yeah. they, they appreciated that. But, um, I, you know, let's kind of dive in. We got a lot of stuff to cover and I know you've got some time pressure. So, um, you know, I, 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 in the, as we were preparing for this, or as I was talking to people about having you on, I think I mentioned offline is there were a lot of people didn't even know that there was a foster program here in Carver County. Um, you know, how large is it? How many, how many kids get served? Um, you know, what is it, what is that specific portion of health and human services look like, you know, here in the yeah. country? Well, I think it might just be helpful too, just to kind of explain there's primarily the foster care child protection programs that are in Minnesota are county-based. So they're, they're kind of the state gives us the guidance and the statutes to follow, but um, they're administered by each individual county. And so um, there are a few private agencies out there that do uh, foster care as well, um, but it's, it's kind of the, 
the nuts and bolts of the work is really often kind of managed and uh, coordinated by each of the counties. So um, Carver County, I think um, we're kind of in a, in a lot of ways, I think it speaks to <laughs> our community as well as we're kind of in this sweet spot. I think we're big enough to really have some really experts and quality um, services that we can do, but we're not so big that we can't um, be flexible with our services. So our, um, our program as a whole, um, I would say it, it's hard to distinguish between like uh, child protection and foster care and all the things we're doing together. We probably have, I don't know, maybe 10 different kind of sub programs that are all kind of housed within our child and family department. Um, and they work relatively cooperative to, uh, together. And so it's hard to um, speak one without talking about the other. Um, but we can, can you about, I'm gonna, can I jump in there for a sec? Can yeah. you make the distinction? Um, you mentioned there's a distinction between protective care and foster care. I think a lot of times people sort of conflate the two together. Um, yeah. From your perspective, what is that distinction? Well, I think the biggest thing is we're working with a lot of families when the kids are still at their with their caregivers or their primary families, <laughs> like their parents or their primary caregivers. So um, a lot of the work we're doing is um, one kind of assessing safety, right? We're just trying to dig in, figure out what's going on in a family. Um, obviously, sometimes uh, information comes to a child and family department where it says like, hey, these are these are our concerns. And so then we have staff that go out and check those concerns out and actually talk with families and interview kids and determine like, is are the children currently safe enough? Are there some little plans that we can put together to um, ensure that the kids are safely remaining with their parents? And that um, would come from that type of a tip, if you will, would be a family member, a neighbor, a uh, educator. Yeah. I mean, is that kind of the traditional sort of path or? Yeah, it really can be anyone. I mean, there's some jobs out there that are considered mandated reporters, right? So there are some positions in our community and roles that people take on. So like a social worker, what I am, I'm a mandated reporter. So if I see abuse um, or uh, if I believe that there's a possibility of abuse or neglect or whatever's going on, um, by my own profession, I'm request are required to um, report that, and so um, teachers are also in that group. But there's a lot of other people that report that aren't mandated reporters, and they just share express concerns. Um, information that we also we also get information cross reported from law enforcement, and so there's times that uh, situations come to the um, sheriff's office or the uh, Chaska Police Department and then get passed on to us for us to either work and uh, kind of together with law enforcement or kind of do our own assessment depending on the situation. I got to imagine that initial call is not too pleasant um, when the, you know, hey, um, I'd like to come and talk to you about your children. You know, we've got concerns. I'm, I'm guessing people kind of get on the defensive about that. Yeah, it really can... Um, <clears throat> go many different ways. Um, one of the things that drew me to Carver County and keeps me here is that we try to follow a practice model called signs of safety. And it's really kind of integrated in our own best practice of how we work with families. And that includes all the different levels of interventions that I was talking about, either um, initial assessments, ongoing support of families when the kids are able to stay home with their uh, stay in the home, but also 
um, we have concerns and we want to we want to see them demonstrate safety over time. And the signs of safety practice model really um, supports that really partnering with families, respecting families, um, really looking at their their current strengths, um, because we know families. Typically, parents and caregivers want the best for their children across the board. And we go into this thinking that that's the case. And we want to honor and respect all the good things parents are doing to support their children, as well as those things that maybe aren't so good. And we want to make sure we're addressing those. So, it's, yeah, it seems as I mean, it's, <clears throat> you know, you only can you can only do what it is, you know, or what you've experienced. And so you have sometimes, you know, generational um, dysfunction. Uh, yep. And so that it's got to be a challenge you know, to come in and hey, there's a, a, a people do a, a belief. I, a, a guy that I used to be involved with, he was a, in, in, in a sales context, but he always, one of his beliefs was people do the best they can with the tools that they have at the time. Mm-hmm. And you just see a lot of times, like, you know, like we were involved with strive and years ago it was a little bit more, um, uh, there was a, a pretty significant contrast in how, you know, majority of the kids are being raised and the way some of these kids are being raised, you know, they're not getting any scripting at home. So, you know, and then if they, if, if there's no intervention and then they go out and start having children, all they are going to be able to do with their kids is what they've experienced, you know, growing yeah. up. so, so that's an interesting thing. So, okay. So at what point, let's say that you, you get, uh, you know, you do an initial assessment and you think, you know, a higher level of intervention is involved. Do you guys have authority to kind of do that? Or is that something you have to go then and petition the court to do? Or what, what does that process look like? Yeah. So I think that's, that's a good question. The, the kind of the process can look a few different ways. Um, the, the least common option is sometimes p- parents agree. And so sometimes parents are saying like, yeah, this isn't good. Or maybe parents see like the dynamic between uh, a youth and them is, is not working right now. And so what they'll do is they'll do what we call like a voluntary. They'll, they'll voluntarily um, set up a plan where someone else will be a, a temporary caregiver until either something more formal can be put in place or until um, if it's something that can be resolved relatively quickly, then we can kind of move forward at that time. Um, that does happen, but like I said, it's not as common. Um, then the ultimate placement authority comes kind of in two ways. Uh, one would be law enforcement. Law enforcement can put children on a 72 hour hold. And um, at that point, then that information comes to social services and child and family departments. And then we need to kind of take that matter to court or demonstrate, do we want to have custody of a child longer than those 72 hours? And so we actually have to have a court hearing within that time frame. Um, 72 hours, not considering uh, weekends and you know what I mean? Just like right, it's, right. it's business, business hours or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Does that then, get an expedited um, uh, hearing then? I mean, yeah, I'm guessing yeah. that's got to be fairly time sensitive, right? I mean, and then do you have like families that are, that are sort of, um, I don't know, first up, if you will, to handle those short-term things? I mean, is there like a pool of families that do that as opposed to like people that take kids for an extended period of time or what, what yeah, is that? No, what's, I mean, what's your really bench good. look like there? Um, 
that's excellent questions. Um, <laughs> I'll get there, I promise, but I need okay. to explain All right, a no little bit more <laughs> before we get there. Okay. So um, just to kind of finish on the other component, like other than that, the, we can petition the court immediately to get custody as well, but we still have that 72 hour window that we have to get in front of the court as a, as a whole. So we have to have another hearing within that 72 hours. Um, kind of even almost coming back to one of your first questions about what does the foster care program look like right now? Um, I, I think that probably will answer some of your follow-up here is that um, we are, we just don't have enough foster parents. I mean, it's the bottom line is um, I, I, was, I, I was trying yeah. to get there. I kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where like, I'd love to have a group of emergency foster homes that are kind of set up that like when a kid needs a home right now, we know exactly who to call and they're ready to go. You know what I mean? They're, they've got the needs or they have the equipment, the supplies, maybe some changes of clothes for different ages. Like that's the kind of uh, program that I'm really hoping for in the future. Um, and I think we've, we've had that in the past. I think the whole system um, of uh, placing children out of the home has changed pretty drastically over the last um, 20 to 30 years. And so um, and even since I've been at Carver for about the last 10 years, um, it really has changed as well. So um, I was running some numbers before this conversation today, and we had 40 non-relative foster parents in 2004. That's 40. So basically of those 40 foster parents, we would be, those would be the families that would be open to taking children that aren't related to them. Okay. Um, as we sit here today and last week, I actually pulled this number. We have 26. Ouch. And um, our population is significantly more I, than it was yeah. in 2004. <laughs> um, and what that means is basically we, we just spend a lot of time trying to make it work the best we can. And um, unfortunately, what that also means is if we don't have a foster home in our community in Carver, then we're looking outside of Carver County. We're looking at homes in other counties. We're looking at private agencies that license homes statewide. And then we're just kind of doing the best we can to help support that youth and child or sibling group, what we can do. And that sometimes means that they're not able to stay in the same school. It means that um, there might be uh, transported long ways to do visits with their parents. It just is kind of a sad state. And we know that kids do best when they're able to stay connected with the things and the people that are, are uh, around them. And well, continue that. continuity. I mean, when you've got something as disruptive as, as, you know, a, a, a separation from your immediate family, that the more, the more areas of the other areas of your life that are able to stay constant would have to give you some kind of a equilibrium that, you win and get if you're just plucked out of your family and then all of a sudden you're going to school and, you know, someplace like, I don't know, Morris. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Beautiful community. I love Morris. <laughs> I to give you a hard time about Morris. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, do you find that, it, does it tend to be more, if, if you're at overflow, for example, do, do they tend to kind of go towards the metro or do they tend to go rural? Honestly, or does it just it, depend? It, it, it just depends. Honestly, it's, it's all 
it's all of the above. Um, okay. One thing that I ha- haven't talked much about yet, but and I would say this is probably one of the biggest changes since I've been in here at Carver for the last 10 years, mm-hmm. is the significant um, percentage of our youth where they're replacing them with family. And so um, one of the, the components of this... So um, we basically, part of the process when a child isn't able to remain home is we do a relative search. Oh, so got it. I see. Okay. We, yeah. We search for their, their extended families, their aunts, uncles, cousins, anyone that basically could be a support for a youth or a child or siblings. Um, we want to get their information. We want to talk with them. And so um, I, I would say two or three years ago, we were leading one of the leading counties in the whole state that um, about percentage of children in foster care that they're with relatives. And we still are doing as well. It's just the state's catching up with us. And so about 60%, 65% of the time spent in foster care for our youth is with relatives. Okay. Which is a saving grace. And it's, it's amazing because it is helping um, the youth stay connected to those important people and our extended families and their their history their stories all of that is is really important um but there's a number of families that don't have that right they there's a number of families that just don't have the healthy uh extended family that are able to take on the role of foster parent for them and so we still need to have a pool of foster parents that are able to provide for either a short-term or sometimes longer-term placements for youth when they uh, can't stay with their parents. What does long-term mean to you? I mean, like indefinitely, like from a toddler through adulthood, or is it until they find a, like a family? I'm just trying to get, I'm, I'm trying to come at this from a variety of angles. I think you and I talked before, I said, we had, I had experience with this growing up. Um, mm-hmm. that we were foster, we were a foster family on our farm. And so we'd have these kids come out and there was one kid and his mom was just a hot mess. And, you know, he, we, and we would do all this, you know, kind of building him up and getting him ready. And then, you know, then they, he would be looking forward to an outing, for example, or going back and, and then, you know, 11th hour, she would pull the plug on an outing or, you know, or she would have a relapse or, I mean, and, and there was obviously, you know, I was little, but there was obviously substance issues and things like that. And, and then we'd have to put the pieces back together. You know, he would be so looking forward to getting back. And then you'd have this, you know, this kind of, this just, you know, gut punch and mm-hmm. then you're reconstructing. And so, um, and I know that the directive was always trying to get the family and I know that that's always the issue, but where's that tipping point? I guess maybe that's what I'm trying to get my head around is, you know, where's the tipping point where it's like, okay, this isn't working. And, you know, maybe there's a, an alternative out there. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm, I, mean, I know that's a, it depends kind of question, but um, maybe just philosophically, how do you guys approach that? Well, yeah, there are timelines that are, are directed by statute for us. And so um, one, kind of a first decision point is six months. So when we work with a family and the children are in foster care or some out of home placement setting, um, they at six months, we kind of have to figure out a decision point. Are we going to continue the, doing the plan as we see it? And there's a couple factors that go into that decision. 
Um, most likely, yes. In that situation, at six months, is a hard. I mean, it's hard to have either confidence after six months that things are going to be different or that they're not going to be different. I mean, that's a pretty short period of time. Um, and so the, kind of the, the biggest uh, decision point is a year. And so at, at a year, we have to have some idea what's this going to look like. And um, if we're looking at out-of-home placement extended past that, we're probably going to be having to look at uh, alternative permanency, not, not you know, reunifying with the family or with the parents or primary caregivers. Um, then, so that could look. And I'm sorry. And with, with, with 26, 26 families, I'm assuming you don't have like, okay, this is our short-term team. This is the one-year team. And then if it's extended mm -hmm. care, this is the permanent team. And, and so when families, I, I guess I'm trying to figure out, okay, how can we you know, help you get more families, right? And mm -hmm. I think the idea of understanding what exactly you're committing to, um, because, you know, I, I think if I was in a situation where we were going to do foster care, I don't want to be an additional disappointment to that child. Right? Yeah, yeah. So... so yeah, and I think you ask a valid question. I think sometimes at that initial placement, we don't know that answer. And I think that's that's a difficult component is we don't necessarily know how long a child's going to be in this particular foster home. We hope that children move as least as possible. So um, any move is another move. You know what I mean? Like it's another removal from another disruption. family, another yeah. disruption changes everything. So our goal is if, if a child can't remain um, with their parents or primary caregivers is that, and they have to go to a, a stranger, uh, non-relative foster parent is that that's the one move. And then they're going to go back home. Like you said, in, in the weird description is reunification is our primary goal. And honestly, it happens a majority of the time. Like a lot of the times kid, kids are able to go back home and within that six month to a year time frame. Um, okay. I'm going to stop you just also, a second, Clint. So yeah. when they do that, is, why? Is it because the parent made an elective choice? Is it because you guys set some kind of performance standards that would allow for that to happen? Or is it a combination of those things? Or Yeah, it's all of the above. I mean, I have um, every time a child goes out of the home or anytime we're working with families, we have a case plan. So like a treatment plan, case plan is kind of all wrapped together. And it, it outlines very specifically kind of what things we're asking parents to be doing, what kind of behavioral changes are we going to be looking for to give confidence for a child to be returned home? And then, and those things aren't just go to therapy, right? Like, or it's just go to CD treatment. We actually want to see the demonstrated change over time. And so we've had, I've had plenty of families I work with that, yeah, they're taking care of their stuff. They're getting in the programs or um, getting in say, uh, some inpatient program and addressing whatever mental health or chemical dependency. But then when, we want to see them live in life a little bit, right? We want to see them kind of settle in, find a place that they're going to be living. And okay, how are you going to manage your sobriety um, working? And now we're going to have your child doing visits and overnight visits. And we kind of work that process back in so that they can demonstrate to the agency that they're they got this right. And that's what we sure, want. And sure. so, and what did you do? And is it working? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think all the things that we would, anytime we're setting goals or you want to make any changes, right. There's always struggles and having that structure and that support. 
um, is really important. And I think that's one of the things that I really value about um, the work here as well, is we really value that informal and formal supports, because you know what, um, we don't have, Carver County doesn't have like this big parenting coach program, or you know what I mean? We don't have a lot of these things. And the science of safety model that we kind of go off of talks a lot about like, who do you know that you think is a really good parent? Maybe let's just go talk to them and get connected with them and figure out what they're doing that's successful. And maybe they could coach you on how this works because everyone in our community has so many good skills and you always can find experts in each area if you're just looking for them. Okay. All right. And I'm sorry, I cut you off. So, so that's if they go back. Um, and if it starts to go the other way, then what does that process look like? Yeah, we also are kind of expected to be looking for the long-term plan at the same time as working for children to be reunified with their parents. Okay. And so um, that what they call that concurrent planning. And so that concurrent planning process is, is kind of that plan B and kind of, I don't think they, the official term isn't plan B, but it's kind of what it is. It's kind of like we're, <laughs> we're looking for both plans at the same time because we can't be looking for the permanency plan after a year. Because guess what? It's going to take us another six months to a year to even figure out what that's going to look like. We need to be starting doing that right from the beginning. Um, and most often, um, it's finding a grandma or a, a aunt or an uncle, and they're able and willing. And then we work with the process to try to get the child moved, if necessary, to their home sooner than later. And so we really look at trying to kind of help them get established in in the the child into that that home um, as early as possible just to support that permanency the, the emotional feel of permanency as well as the legal so is there a is there sort of a i don't know if I said vetting is not really the right word but like a prep or a standard that you have to run that the family members have to kind of go through too so that you know you're not just moving from the frying pan into the fire i mean if it's an aunt you know, that the mom has dysfunction or the dad has dysfunction from a parent, you know, by going to Uncle Joe, you know, how do you know that it's just not going to be the same thing in a different, you know, in a different shape? Yeah, no, I, and that's a good question. Um, we, I would say we do about as good a vetting as we can. Um, it's, you're running the basics, you're making sure that they don't have any necessarily child protection, relevant child protection history currently that would impact your decision about safety. Um, they... Uh, criminal history checks, uh, go through that process. Um, and then we're also listening to the other extended families and supports and the other people that are involved. So like if the, uh, the child themselves, if they're of age, they'll say, hey, this is where I want to go. And um, or parents will say, like, you can't send my kid there because they do more bad stuff than I do. Um, then we start, okay, now we got that information. Let's think this one through. Like, where, where else can we kind of confirm or uh, get some evidence to describe like what's what that environment environment might look like um, but all of our relatives they have to go through the full licensing process that our non-relative families have to go through as well okay. um, the, the children <clears throat> that's got the children kind of a, ultimately that... can be there before they're licensed mm -hmm. but they have to demonstrate the ability to meet all the licensing standards for that to, to move forward that's got to be kind of a tough sell, I would imagine, in some cases, because you're going to them initially saying, hey, you know, you're, you know, uh, you know, brother Bob is um, kind of dropping the ball. And so we need to find a place for the kids. And oh, and then, oh, and by the way, we need you to adhere to all this additional screening and stuff. It's a 
I mean, it's a, that seems like a pretty big ask. It is. It is. And um, when I was at Ramsey County, um, when I started in the foster care field, that was my job. I worked just with relatives in the licensing process. And so I, I think I kind of um, I, I kind of got used to that process a little bit before I even got used to the non-relative foster care part. Um, but we have a dedicated licensing worker um, for Carver County that works just with relatives. Um, Sarah is her name. She's amazing. She's got experience being the child protection placing worker. And so she really can help coach our foster parents through kind of the different components. Because I think you're right is um, a lot of the relatives we communicate with, they didn't wake up one morning and say, I want to be a foster parent, right? They got a phone call. (laughs) I want to, you know, I want to parent Clint's kids. I mean, that seems like a big. um, Yeah, yeah. and it is, and it is, but you'd be surprised. There's usually more people that want to do it than um, people are saying that they can't. So, um, which is amazing. I think that's, it just speaks to um, the family bonds and the supporting each other. Um, that just exists in our communities and every community I've been a part of, that's pretty, pretty accurate as well. So. Cool. Yeah. Uh, it, so if somebody thought, you know what, I have a calling to do this, <clears throat> you know, my kids are gone or I, I, we've got space or the capacity or the heart for it. Um, what, what would, what would some, a family need to do to qualify to be a foster family? Um, uh, what does that look like? If somebody just woke up and said, you know what, it's on my heart that this is what I want to do. What's, what is kind of ABC next. to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, our website is probably one of the best places to get additional information for those who might have questions. Um, um, but in, uh, and on our website, we have a, like become a foster care button and a foster parent, and it just sends us basically your contact information. And one of our um, one of our two traditional um, foster care licensors, Angie and Janice, they would be reaching out, asking questions and kind of talking through what's going on in your family, like answer some of those questions. Um, in the past, pre-COVID, we had uh, regular meetings where foster parents or uh, prospective foster parents would kind of come and meet with our staff and talk through kind of the different expectations. Some of that's gone online, I think for convenience, but I also we just recently had uh, some conversations with our, our staff thinking maybe we should go a little bit back into person and give that as an option for some families. So um, there may be that option coming down the path as well. Again, um, really the, the criteria is pretty open. I think that's the, that's the beauty of it is like some of the basic things is I think 21 years of age is kind of the minimum age you can be a foster parent. Um, you have to be able to pass the background checks and um, demonstrate the capacity to parents. You have to kind of complete a fair amount of paperwork, um, unfortunately, but that's how our system goes. Uh, so going through and providing information about um, kind of, what, I guess the biggest thing, biggest form of paperwork is it's called a home study assessment. And so our licensors meet with the families and just get a, a, a rounded a description of like, what does their family system look like? What does their past experiences look like? How do they, how do they parent? Um, we need to do reference checks on foster parents. So that's just a few um, people that have kind of witnessed and uh, could attest to the quality of parenting that the foster parent would provide as a foster parent. Um, just trying to think of all the little details. How long, but- does, how long does that process typically take, Clint? I mean, is it a couple months or? 
Typically, yes. I think if you're if you're going through it, and in, in um, I know I've had foster parents uh, myself, as well as some highly motivated foster parents, they can get through it in a month or two pretty easily. Um, but most most trip typically, it's like four four months. I would say is a common timeline to complete the licensing process. Got it. <clears throat> and then I'm assuming yeah. there's ongoing renewals and things like that. And yep, yep, talking through the that status, things. Yep. There's training requirements as well. Like you have to go through certain different trainings for different ages of children and um, car seat safety and just kind of kind of some of those basics that you'd want to make sure that um, so kind of those things is like, say, you know, if my kid was not in my care, how would I know my kid is being well cared for? Those are the kinds of things that we want our foster parents to be able to do. And um no, that's one they probably have better, sometimes better care than they would because <laughs> that ought to be required to have babies, right? <laughs> yeah, there are no standards for training for uh, just to right? have a child. That's, that no. is accurate. Yeah. So. Do you remember on, did you, do you, you're probably too young for this. There was a movie called Parenthood with um, Steve Martin and uh, um, mm. anyway, Keanu Reeves was a teenager and he did a little monologue in there about basically anybody can be a, you know, any, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's a little more colorful than maybe this is, that is appropriate on this podcast, but it was, uh, you know, kind of think about it and you, it's sort of, you see that over and over again. Right. So, okay. So let's go back to, okay. So family, um, you know, there's not a particular thing, uh, a, a relative that could take the kids, kids are in a foster care. It doesn't seem like the, um, you know, the biological uh, family is, is going to work. Um, right now in Carver County, how many kids are in foster care that are actively look that where you're actively looking for a, uh, I think the term is forever family. Oh boy. That's getting in an area that I don't know a hundred percent. Ballpark. Um, I mean, are you talking like yeah, five kids I would say, 50 kids? Yeah. We're probably somewhere in that five range. Oh, okay. Like, all right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think um, we rarely um, are not able to find a permanency home for a child. I mean, it's that's very rare. Um, and usually it's uh, even it, we think we have it and then something changes. And so there's that dynamic that plays out. Um, but we have uh, one staff who uh, works with families potentially after like a termination of parental rights. That's one of the options that can happen at kind of that end of the permanency uh, timeline, if you will. After that year, you could be going in a direction of like transferring custody to a relative or transferring custody to some other kin type relationship. Um, or you can look at terminating parental rights and then moving forward with adoption of it, with, a, with a new family. And I'm thinking our adoption worker probably has about 10 families, 10 youth she's working with. That's kind of a guess, I'll be honest. Um, and about, I would say at least half of those have a adoptive home that they're already in and they're just going through the paperwork. Okay. So, so the adoptive home, does that become like an extension of foster while everything's happening? It's correct. not just like, yeah. okay, the judge says it and then they move in that day. I'm assuming. There's yes, that, correct. Like a transition. There's, there's a transition, there's funding components to all of this and you're meeting expectations and then you need to go through this step and send that piece of paper to DHS and then DHS sends another one back, you know what I mean? Just like that right. back and forth. And then ultimately 
um, a adoption hearing will be scheduled if, if that makes it to that point and we are able to move forward with the adoption. And once the adoption happens, really, I mean, it's, they're, they're a family. They're, the children are, um, parental rights are theirs. And so we, we just kind of um, always, prob- we always probably provide some support, right? There's a lot of families that I've said, I'm not working with you, but here's my phone number. If you have a question or something comes up, feel free to call me. Um, but other than that, um, good luck. Okay. And what percentage, I mean, I mean, you said you, you, you think generally when, once it gets to that point, at least here locally, kids tend to, you tend to find, you'd be successful finding families. Does it, does the, does it become more difficult as the children, you know, based on age or um, how yeah. does that factor in? Age is, is definitely a, a, if you're, if you're going down that alternative um, to reunification route, um, older youth are definitely harder to find permanent homes for. Um, I mean, older youth in general are harder to find homes for. Like, I, I think it was this, uh, I don't know, there's, I don't know how to say this correctly, but um, some people get into foster care to adopt. And some people get into foster, like want to be foster parents, and they're hoping for the cute little baby. And they want to kind of complete their family in some capacity, or they're just love babies, and they want to foster babies. That's there's nothing wrong with that. Those are all good motives, um, but it has to kind of fit within what's going on with our system because we obviously want to keep families together, preserve families, reunite families, and work towards those goals as mm-hmm. a primary. Um, so there's a lot of people that kind of are supporting younger age children, and, and there's just a lot less that kind of say, hey, I really want that teenager. I I really loved when my kids were teenagers because adolescence is such a fun time. I want to do more of that with other people's kids. Like that's a hard sell. And so, um, but it's a huge need. I mean, I would just, I couldn't highlight that need as as much as anything else. Um, The primary needs we really feel like are kind of those things that when we're um, hearing of a child that can't come into our care, or uh, can't stay with a parent, sorry. Um, and it's a teenager, we're just like, oh, we can't, how, how are we gonna make this work for them? Um, and then the other one is just sibling groups. Like when there's two or three kids that we wanna find a home that can take all three of them together so the kids aren't separated from one another. Um, those are really hard situations because a lot of families aren't set up to do that. Yeah. It's a big ask. What happens if you don't find a family? I mean, if you have, I mean, do they just stay perpetually in foster care? I mean, do they, what is that? For permanency? Yeah. So you find, let's say the kid's 15, 16 years old. They, you know, it's, you said it's harder to place, you know, Mm -hmm. harder to place. They, they, do they stay in, you know, does they stay in one foster family? Do they move from foster family to foster family? I mean, what does that look like? I mean, we don't have orphanages anymore. I mean, so, I mean, what nope. is that, what does that look like if they don't find that, that permanent family? Um, a lot of times they would stay with the foster home where they currently are. I mean, that's kind of the best case scenario. Um, if they aren't able to find uh, a permanent home as well. Um, and then we, we just try to make it work the best we can. We try to keep them connected. I think we have a few foster parents that are perfectly fine maintaining their youth in their home but they just either their age or their family situation they're like we're not interested in adopting so if if that's what they need then they're going to have to go to another home to that but if they're not needing that 
they're perfectly happy staying, staying in our home. Mm. Um, but a lot of times, even the youth, they end up going back home quite a bit as well. I think the, 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 the child vulnerability is a little different, right? Like when you have a 16, 17 year old and they have their own voice and they have their own ability to um, walk out of a situation if they need to, not that, that that's their responsibility, but if they need to, they can. Um, it just looks a little different. So I feel like we we are still able to get a lot of those youth back into their their homes and reunified with them. Um, or sometimes it's different level of treatment needs. A lot of youth, that's kind of a, another component of this that they just can't oftentimes be successful in a family setting too. Sure. Yeah, it, you know, <sighs> There's just so many dynamics, I guess we were talking about where it's, you know, they're just gut wrenching. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. so if you could wave a magic wand and have it and, and, you know, what are the more acute needs that you have that you would ask from people that are listening to this? Oh boy. I think just if you're in a situation that, you either you thought about foster care in the past. I mean, it, it, honestly, this is one of those things where we talk with people all the time that they're thinking like, yeah, I've been thinking about foster care since I was little, but not right now. Right. I'm, I've got young kids and I don't want that. I, w- I don't want them to be have older foster siblings. I'll maybe do this when my kids are older or things like that. So it's, it's one of those things. A lot of people say they talk, they think about for a really long time before they do it. And so I would kind of, the first piece of that is that, just we can make almost anything work like (laughs) we can usually navigate around family needs we can usually um say like hey this is the age group that we can uh have for you that fits your family so there's a uh, there's a lot of i think reasons and fears of why not to do it but i think generally speaking we can we can usually make that work um for those listeners that um don't necessarily even know much about this or haven't heard of this. I think this is one of those things that's like awareness and just being thoughtful and reflecting on this because um, we live in a great county (laughs) community here. And um, I think it's sometimes easy just to kind of live in our own little bubbles of what's our life looks like and what we're doing and might not even know that we, we work with families in every community. There's families in every neighborhood, every um, city and rural, all those areas, we have families that we've worked with. And that's not to say that they're bad families. It's just like, this is, this is an issue that um, touches almost every community in some capacity and uh, being available to support families, but also recognizing that this is, this is happening. This is going on. And what role can you play in supporting these families? Because, um, like healthy families, healthy kids, that leads to healthy adults and healthy societies. And so I think um, this, it's, it's the long game, but it's so important. And like each small little thing that we're doing to support families that might be going through a temporary struggle, maybe it's a bigger struggle, but if we can do something to provide some intervention uh, with those youth, it's so very important. Is there ways for people to get involved short of hosting or, you know, being a, a, an actual family. I mean, is there a way to come alongside? We, I, I have, um, I have eight clients 
who are raising their grandchildren, mm. you know, either because of substance abuse, bad economic decisions, you know, mental health issues. Um, it's it, it and to your point, these are all here in Carver County. I mean, it's mm -hmm. much more prevalent than people are aware of. Um, but, you know, short of having someone bringing a child into your home, is there a way for people who to be able to be supportive of either the children or the other families that are doing this? Um, you know, what, what would that look like? Yeah. So um, I'm trying to think of how many years ago, probably like four or five years ago, we were started a partnership with uh, a community uh, group, which now goes by the forgotten initiative. And so the Forgotten Initiative is uh, a collaboration of a, a few churches, but it's bigger than that, that it kind of separated from necessarily being a church thing to now more of just a few, a group of uh, community members that say like, hey, we want to support our, our children and our families. And so the, uh, the Forgotten Initiative um, works specifically with Carver and Scott counties and works really closely with our foster care staff, um, hosts events for our foster parents, and, um, and then also just some amazing direct support to families, like freezer meals. Um, when you think about those relatives that maybe just took two or three <laughs> kids into their home, they're, they're scrambling, they're taking them to school and doctor's appointments and all that stuff to have someone walk aside beside you. And <laughs> they say, have a hey, reason to go to Costco now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So having someone kind of say, hey, we dropped off uh, 10 meals for you guys just to kind of help you through the first few weeks as you transition. Or um, we've had, I'm trying to think of all the amazing things they've done, helped with clothes. They've um, added youth that was trying to um, kind of we really support our youth in trying to develop further independent living skills. So we're encouraging youth to get jobs and to kind of do the things that um, a typical 16, 17 year old would be doing, um, but he didn't have transportation. So this organization bought him his own bike so that he could bike to work and um, go through that. You know what I mean? It's just all these types of things where you're kind of walking beside. I mean, we don't, we don't have a lot of, money in our county budget for things like that if at all um, and the few things we have come through very specific state grants and so the in the flexibility that this kind of organization does to walk alongside families is, is really important right. and so and yeah so if how you're, would people how would people connect with that is it forgotteninitiative.org or yeah I, honestly i would you can just put Google or whatever browser, just search in. Carver All right, County, I'll, I'll find it and put it in the show notes then for your yeah, episode yeah, so people just, can do that. Because that that seems like something, I mean, like, a, I mean, a first ask would be like, hey, you know, look in your heart and see if you have the capacity to be a foster yeah. family. And if not, you know, is there a way that you can support it? Um, you know, there's a handful of us that are involved with Strive and, you know, I've been involved with launch with adulting and, you know, taking yeah. like a little bit of, you know, a specific knowledge that you have about a particular area and then sharing that with these kids who aren't getting any scripting and, um, you know, to try to help, you know, collectively move these kids along so they don't become, um, you know, they, they can, that they can break the patterns, you know, of dysfunction. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, very I mean, cool. I have, I've never heard of Forgotten Initiative. Thank you for that because I had no idea that that even existed. So yeah, we were, we were so 
thankful and blessed for them. So a, big, a shout out. I hope they get a lot of support. And the other component of that, if they do events, they do Christmas um, uh, things as well. Um, but then families also can interact with current foster parents and get to know them and a- ask questions and kind of get kind of going in that regard as well. Another um, option I would say, and this happens for some, some of our families, they're saying, you know what, I don't know if I could be a full-time foster care parent, but I could help on weekends or I could do this. Kind of like, almost like respite get, care for the exactly, families. And that's exactly what we call it. We call it respite care. And so there are certain providers in our community that say like, I can only do respite, but then they end up really providing a huge support for the youth, having another positive adult, another positive family that a child can uh, look to and uh, receive support from, but also the full-time foster parent can get uh, sometimes that needed break. Just like anytime we're parenting as I'll speak for myself. I need a break every once in a while to do my best parenting. And so um, that's the same thing is true for um, foster parents as as parents that are are not fostering. And so to have that is a great way to kind of dip your toe in the uh, environment, get some of the training, get some of the support and see what that looks like. And it's not for everybody, but some people say, oh, yeah this is, this is easy. I got this. So, yeah, it seems like a, it, that's kind of like a nice, we kind of have like an ABC thing now. So we've got, you know, a step up, be a family, you know, open up your home, step B, be a respite, step three, support the families who are doing those A and B. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. That's exactly what I was hoping we would accomplish today. Well, I, I mean, I, we do, we have, I have my father-in-law, I mentioned my wife's from Southern Minnesota when we talked offline and, and uh, my father-in-law lives with us and he has, you know, some uh, um, dementia issues. And I, after a year and a half, it's like, I get respite care now. It's like, oh, you know, before it was like, ah, oh, we got this. And then, but all mm-hmm. of a sudden you're, you, you sort of, you know, something happens and it's like, okay, need a little mental break here. And um, yeah, and so so I get it. Yeah. Well, what else? Is there anything else, Clint, that you'd want to share at this point? I mean, I think that was actually, uh, those three things are fantastic and I didn't even know yeah. about them. So, um, well, um, I guess the only thing I was thinking about, just like where you can get more information, our website, if, like, likewise, I don't know if you can put our website into uh, the comments or attach it somehow, but likewise, if you just do a internet search for Carver County foster care, that's a, that's a great way to find more information. Um, we have a Facebook page, uh, CC Foster Care. Um, so if anyone wants to like and follow that, that we provide some additional information, some content that's just kind of silly and fun. And some of it is pretty tangible um, components uh, throughout in that page. And we try to keep that active as possible. Um, and what, what is the website? I'm looking at this little flyer. I don't have... I, I, I just have an email address. Is there a... Oh, okay. Um, so it would be like the uh, www.co.carver.mn.us slash foster care. That will oh, bring okay. you right, right to the, our, our main foster care page. Okay. The easy, yeah. easy government 
web domains. <laughs> I know exactly. I we we have been doing uh, two years. We've been doing a lot of uh, recruitment efforts. We've really tried to think about this, knowing that you know what there's um, we're feeling it right. We're feeling this pressure of uh, of finding good matches. I think I didn't really talk about this yet, but the the reality is we want an abundance of foster parents so that two things can happen. One, we can find youth the best match, meaning they're in the right community, the right foster parent skills match that child's needs. When we can have that, we support the youth the best and we support the um, stability of the placement. So that's kind of the priority one. And we also want to be able for foster parents to take a break of not fostering for a little while. So say they have a, a child or children with them and they're like, you know what, we, were, we had those children, they went home and they, we were with us for six months. Maybe we, we don't want to take it in another placement tomorrow, right? Like we want to just kind of recenter a little bit and maybe do a few of those things that we didn't know we could have the capacity to do while we were fostering. So we want to, that's kind of this, I think this element of like the surplus, the, the need for more is more about supporting the current foster parents as well as really making sure we have the best matches for our youth as possible. Right. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Um, and then the other thing, I just a shout out to our my staff, the foster care staff. They're amazing. Um, we have uh, four, I would say, four other staff that are part of the, the foster care team. We have our Ashley Stender as our relative search worker. So she's having a ton of uh, conversations with families and figuring out, hey, is this family a good option or that family, um, extended family? Uh, Sarah Kalesa is our relative search our sorry, relative foster care licensor, and um, Angie Lunau and Janice Melton are two of our um, traditional or non-relative licensors, and <laughs> they're the experts. I'm just like the spokesman that kind of <laughs> uh, tries to make sure everything fits together. But the reality is, they're the experts. They're the What's ones on the ground experts. They're on the and they're amazing. They're, they provide so much support to our foster parents and um, check-ins, phone calls, um, visiting when they, when they need to, things like that. So I think ultimately they're the ones that are making our whole foster care program as a whole really successful and positive. Terrific. Well, Clint, I think you're all doing God's work on this because, I mean, it's, it's, it's such an important need. And, and it's one of those things, you know, when something bad happens. And usually when they do, you know, they'll do a profile of something and they go back, you know, if they go, they go back upstream far enough, there's mm -hmm. usually some kind of break in a, you know, in a family dynamic or some kind of, you know, some kind of crisis or uh, um, trauma or what have you. And, and so, you know, to, the fact that you guys are doing this every day, I mean, that's got to be amazingly meaningful work. So thank you for taking the time to, um, you know, talk to us about this and, and I'm going to put lots and I've got lots of notes and I'll try to, you know, do you right in the show notes and, uh, um, you know, see if we can get some more people to, to engage because this is great. just important work. So I'm going to stop recording right now. Um, but Clint, thank you so much. Yep. Thank you.